You have been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. The intro theme was by Alfred Etheridge Nunn, Star Trek's owned by Paramount, and Casual Trek is part of the Nerd and Tie Network. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Tie and the Omelas Tourism Board. Omelas, would you walk away from us? I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn. I'm a writer, and I'm a Battle Royale fan. And I am Miles, a writer, comedian, and a fan of the motion picture, Zardoz. Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen disciples. The gun is good. The penis is evil. The penis shoots seeds and creates new life. So we're we're starting strong then. Um, yeah, we're starting we're starting strong. Oh, good. Like my like my penis. Moving very quickly on. <laughs> right, uh, that's it. Last episode. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Um. That's right. We've gone this far, you know. Um. And somehow we've not started jokes about being, you know, uh, naked while recording or any of the the classic podcasting staples. Look, Ch- Ch- Charlie. Given the weather in both our countries, I I think recording naked would be an understandable blessing. On that note, each episode of Casual Trek, we watch stories from three different Star Trek shows, and we rank them on a big old list from best to worst. We both love Star Trek, but it's far from our first fandom, which makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task. This episode... We're having a look at planets with terrible laws. Thank God we're not in a place like that, right, Mars? Yeah, thank goodness we're not like a Scotsman outside the city limits of Manchester after midnight, because I believe it's still legal to shoot a Scotsman with a bow and arrow outside. I think it's actually Bournemouth. Future Charlie here. Just coming along to head off any pedants, it's actually York. York is where it's legal to shoot a Scotsman with a bow and arrow, except for on Sundays, unless they're drunk. Future, future Charlie here. Also Chester, but only if they're Welsh, after midnight, in the city walls. Laws, huh? Weird. You know, it's not as if, like, Charlie, it's not as if um, you live in a country where firearms have more rights than people. I mean, that would <laughs> that would be a terrifying place to live. God, who would have that, you know? Man, like, imagine living in a country where they go, hey, this guy, let's call him a king, and he's somehow better than you. Why? Because God said so. I mean, who would live there? All of this is his. Why? Hedges. Hmm. <laughs> ah. Yeah, weird. Anyway, um... <laughs> Let's come back from the realms of fantasy before we start talking about some planets with just abysmal, garbage, fucking weird laws. What non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke? Uh, I have actually been listening to a podcast. It is a comedy improvised podcast called Hello from the Magic Tavern. It's a weekly, fully improvised comedy podcast. It is about a man, uh, about a man, Arnie Niekamp who was sucked through a dimensional por- uh, dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago to the magical and mystical land of Foon. And due to a slight Wi-Fi signal, he's still getting through the dimensional rift. He records his he records a weekly podcast with his two friends, Shunt the shapeshifting badger, 
and Usador, the blue wizard who is on a quest to defeat the Dark Lord. Um, every week, they have interviews with with these strange, weird characters. Foon is basically a kind of generic, kind of D&D, Tolkien-style fantasy world with a lot of monsters and strangeness. Um, it's really fun. Uh, my wife, Rihanna, is really into it. So I've just been trying to give it another shot uh, because it can... It's been running for about seven years now, so there is a lot of it. Wow. It's really funny. It's really, like, fun fantasy. And there, it's Foon. Foon is a world where there's a lot of child death. Stick a pin in that for later. Mm. I I did I did a political... You know, you know how they say you voted politically? I did my uh, non-Star Trek thing politically for, for this week. Oh, wow. I, on the other hand, panicked uh, just as we were about to hit record and realized I didn't have anything listed down because I've mostly been still just playing Zelda Tears for Kingdom. So, yeah, and playing Dive, a role-playing game, both of which have been previous things I've been enjoying. So this time I'm going to say I've been enjoying Arkham Horror, the living card game by Fantasy Flight Games, who hopefully are not in the process of going under with whatever shenanigans are going on with Embracer Group at the moment. But Arkham Horror is its a spin-off of Arkham Horror, the board game, which is all in 1920s America in a Lovecraft horror kind of town. But Fancy Flight have made it a little more pulp, vastly more inclusive, to a level where old Heinz product Lovecraft himself would be <laughs> rotating in his grave to a level to generate power. And um, I'm not even playing a proper living card game at the moment, but I'm part of a community in Brighton who play it fortnightly. And we've run through so many of the campaigns. A bunch of us have had printed a fan campaign called Dark Matter, which is set in space. And it's a bit Event Horizon. Ooh. It's a, The first one had a spaceship that was malfunctioning and our minds thought we were 1920s people, but we seem to be the recorded memories of those people, which have now been etched onto humans in the distant future, somehow ha trying to power this, um, this spaceship where the computer itself is made out of five brains of children again put a pin in that put a pin in that actually yeah yeah so <laughs> in a roundabout way i guess it kind of is on theme yeah and, uh yeah it's been weird okay like who i know this is lovecraft horror but who decides that's the best way to make a ship's computer <laughs> like who would do this what kind of weird weird fucker um and yeah we recently had to go into a vr matrix kind of thing where the chill the child brains thought they were in a school and they were shuffling it all around so this boogeyman wouldn't get them that's like all of their combined fears so we had to move all of the world around to rebuild the school and convince each of the children that it, the boogeyman wasn't real but we could only do it if it was right next to them uh so it was terrifying and uh yeah just some amazing design work and narrative work for a card game 
man, you, you just give me this great idea for a novel using a similar premise, but like, you, you have the people on the spaceship in the future who are playing a 1920s pulp game, but something goes wrong, and and like the 1920s people, the, the, the game personalities get stuck in the people on the spaceship, and the spaceship's going wrong, so you have these people who believe they're characters of a 1920s role-playing game having to fix a spaceship in the future while the people who are the actual space travelers are stuck in the game and they have to fix the game to make the computer work. Mm-hmm. Well, with us, like we, we've we hit this point where we're 1920s people. I'm a butler called Carson Sinclair, who's, um, you know, had the, the honor of attending a play called The King in Yellow. And uh, that's his last memory. And now he's on a ship. And for some reason, he knows what the, what phrases like AI and vacuum suit are. So yeah, it's it's been weird. Uh, but, uh, is he is he the butler to uh, Spanky McGubbins? Um, I'm not even sure who he's the butler for. Um, our first team, our first night doing it, it was very much team old white men. Yes, we're in space. <laughs> We're everywhere. You will not uh, get rid of <laughs> ah, man- ah, Manifest Destiny in Space, which sadly is kind of Star Trek in a nutshell if you think about it. Oh, let's not think about it like that. Again, we may we may need to put a pin in some of that, given some of these <laughs> things that we're going to talk about. Speaking of which, we should crack on. Oh, yeah, we should actually do some Star Trek in the Star Trek podcast. Yeah, so what have we got first? For our first episode, we have Star Trek, the original se- series, Season 1, Episode 23, A Taste of Armageddon, aired 23rd of February 1967, teleplayed by Robert Hamner and Gene L. Kuhn, based on a story by Robert Hamner, and it was directed by Joseph Pevney. Uh, now, the fun part, the UK and US number one hits for the UK, it was Petulia Clark with This Is My Song, which... Nah. I'm sure I've heard better things from Petula Clark. I've actually, I don't think I've ever ever consciously heard any Petula, Petula Clark. Um, yeah. But just, I only know this is my song from, like, Moulin Rouge. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I hadn't even remembered that. That's it. Downtown, she did. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I was a bit nonplussed. Yeah, and then there was the the Buckinghams, uh, with kind of a drag. Yeah, looking for the music video for this on YouTube brought up way too much about Royals, and I was not yeah. happy about that. Kind of a drag was fine, you know. It was some of that we're trying to do. We're trying to do a Beatles. Yeah, like one of the things I hate when people talk about music back in the day, especially when they're talking about you know when it's nostalgia, and especially when it's used to denigrate. Um, the music of the of the current generations, your your Harry Styles and your Sharon's, um, you know, they go like, "Oh man, back in you know back in the day, like you had like Pink, you had Pink Floyd and the Beatles, and like every music was good." Then it's like you just want to say, "But do you know who else wasn't was around? All the music that wasn't as good as Pink Floyd or the Beatles." Mm. And sadly, there are a lot of attempts to. Um, there were always attempts to kind of, ca- you know, kind of cash on that popularity. 
Um, you know, not everyone gets to be the Beatles. Not everyone gets to be Pink Floyd. If you're lucky, you get to end up being Hawkwind instead. Uh, but that's a different podcast altogether. Yeah, so I found Kind of a Drag was fine. Um, yeah. It wasn't Kind of a Drag, but it also yeah, yeah. It wasn't a great week for, for the number one hits. No. Um, no, but what is great, possibly this, I don't know. Refresh my memory and tell the audience, what exactly is A Taste of Armageddon about? Well, Armageddon tastes like chicken, but there we uh. go. Anyway, uh, have you set the timer? I'm ready to go, so engage. The USS Enterprise is traveling to the planet Emenia 7 uh, with Ambassador Robert Fox to try and establish diplomatic relations so they can have like a starport base kind of thing. Not much is known about Emenia 7 beyond the fact that they have been at war with the neighboring planet Vendikar. On the way, they get a message from the planet uh, warning them not to approach. And Kirk is like, nah, seems legit. But Ambassador Fox tells Kirk, screw the warning, I am an ambassador. I, therefore, I outrank you at all points. And so they make, they carry on. Um, they get to Amini R7, and Kirk, Spock, and a collection of security officers beam down to the planet, where they're met by the representative uh, Mia Free in a fantastic dress, and there are some fantastic hats. Um, Best hats. Then, while they've been there for ten minutes, it turns out that they, they've been attacked by Vendikar, um, but, and, you know, like an entire section of, uh, the, of a city has been blown up and millions and millions have died. Kirk is like, but we didn't feel anything. And uh, Mia Free goes, ah, time to show you what's going on. And the walls are open up. We see some fancy 60s computers um, using reel-to-reel tape. It's the future. And so it turns out that Vendikar and Aminiar 7 have been at war basically um, via a very big game of um, of Risk. Uh, you're, you're, the, you're the gaming guy. What would be a good equivalent for what's going on here? I mean, good question. Um, I don't know any of those dudes on a map thinks. Anyway, you are on the clock. I am on the clock. So, yeah, it turns out that... Um, because, you know, actually dropping bombs and firing guns is expensive and hard work, um, Aminia 7 and Vendikar have come up with this fantastic strategy. Essentially, they just, they do it, it's Battleship. It's basically Battleship. They have the maps, and they, and yeah. they basically go, and they basically pick out where a bomb is meant to have fallen. Um, but to make it work, and thus make sure that war is real, if you're blown up in this in this digital map, you now have to be um, put to death by the state to make sure that otherwise that's just cheating. And unfortunately, the Enterprise was destroyed in the attack, and now the crew of the Enterprise has to be executed by disintegration chamber. Otherwise, the, the treaty between these two, these two planets... Um, will fall down and an actual war will start. Uh, Kirk and the crew are take Kirk and the landing party are taken captive and put in a nice little uh, guest room uh, while Kirk while the um while the Minyar Seven 
and their leader, Anon Seven, will try and trick the people on Enterprise down to get disintegrated. Uh, Spock does the Jedi mind trick to to get the jailer to let them out so they can escape. Anon Seven uses Chat GPT to imitate Kirk's voice to convince the crew, everyone on the crew, to, to transport down. Scotty, who's in charge, is having fucking none of it and raises shields. And um, every time Bastard of Fox tells him to, to beam down to the planet, Scotty's like, nah, I trust this not one bit. Um, when the crew fails to transport down, Aminia fires upon them, but the, the shields hold. But they call the screens for this episode. Um, Anon 7 contacts the Enterprise to go, yeah, that was a mistake. We didn't mean to shoot at you. Why didn't you all beam down and we can discuss it with your entire crew over tea and cakes? Ambassador Fox, who's kind of stupid, um, beams down with his uh, assistant, who's wearing a nice little blue number, and is immediately taken to a disintegration chamber. Whoops! But um, Kirk and Spock say, and the crew save them. Um, Ambassador Fox immediately goes, you know what? Um, yeah, I was wrong. Give me a gun. I am all in on just like um, on like battlefield negotiations at this point. Kirk is captured by Anon 7 uh, while Spock and the landing party are just going around blowing up disintegration chambers. Uh, Anon 7 uh, tries to get Kirk to convince the crew of the Enterprise. Oh. And that's time. It's not, it's not. This is not one of my best today. That's right. That's right. Okay. Let's let's start the stopwatch and see how far we go. Go. Okay. Um, Anon Seven opens the channel to the Enterprise, and Cook orders Scotty to execute General Order Twenty Four. Um, General Order Twenty Four apparently is um, F. Kirk and the others aren't free within two hours. Um, Scotty's going to blow up everything on the planet. Um, it meanwhile, uh, Vendikar is phoning up in the Amenia 7 and going, Hey, guys, um, your quota? You're down on your quota. And you have to start, you have to kind of, um, you need to start making people be disintegrated, chop, chop, or else uh, we're going to have to go back to actually having a proper war. Um, Anand 7 is condemning Kirk's actions, telling him that he is a barbarian and it's barbaric to fight wars like with people and not do it by a computer. Uh, because, you know, without the computers dictating how the war goes on, they have no choice. They will have no alternative but to fight a real war. Kirk tells Anand, it's like, dude, you've basically been doing this for 500 years because you don't have the courage to actually fight the war and then act, you know, fight an actual war and then have the courage to end it. Because you've turned it into a game, you're just going to let the game continue with, with no reason to actually, you know, end the war. Um, he convinces Anand 7 to essentially call for a ceasefire and begin negotiations. And ba Ambassador Fox goes, hey, you know what? Um... I know I've been running around with a gun diehard style for like the last 20 minutes, but I want to try and act as a new as a neutral mediator between the two planets. The end. So one minute fifty-four seconds. Miles, 
Yes, Charlie. Is this a Black Mirror? I've I've actually never seen Black Mirror. I I see that the 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 thing is Black Mirror just sounds just too bleak. Hmm. And admittedly, this might kind of go into my opinions on Charlie Brooker. Uh, because Charlie Brooker just ha- seems to have the kind of um, the mindset of a well, let's put it this way: if he hadn't gotten like a very good gig being a critic for the BBC, he would be an angry movie reviewer on YouTube. It it was overdosing on reading his articles and watching Zero Punctuation that made me realize I drastically needed to reassess what I wanted out of reviews and. And from critics, but anyway, um, in this case, this idea of an a, like algorithmically generated war, and that this isn't even going. Oh, we can just skip even the casualties. They're just skipping. They don't want to dirty their hands with violence, but yeah. they still want the bloodshed. That's that's a weird perspective. It it is. It also kind of reminds you of basically how we in the world, especially the Western world, have um, basically we've gotten rid of wars, but we now have peacekeeping exercises in the Middle East and parts of Eastern Europe. And, you know, we've essentially we've turned war into basically... I don't. I don't know what the right word is. It's never actually war. It's always just a peacekeeping keeping operation. Mm. We we were essentially, you know, this this came out at the very kind of beginning of the Vietnam War, especially as the Vietnam War was starting to go badly for the U.S. Well, yeah, one of the things that I saw with um, with this was the um, the computer tallies of the war hmm. dead was supposed to be a, a statement on the on the war deaths that were shown nightly back in back in 67 and that kind of thing of how how cold and numerical it all is like this is hmm. just these are just numbers and you, you... people will die like uh, even um your woman there wearing a some kind of odd curtain um gets put down as a casualty and she's kind of bought into it enough to go well yeah mm. i have to go i have to go and and accept death because i was i was a casualty in this in this formula because essentially if you remove if you remove war and a war and conflict enough from like the country from like the countries which are actually doing it over here then mm. you can kind of make it easier to digest by your country mm. And because and you you're just like yeah that's fine like all that all that fighting and death it's happening over there yeah. I don't have I don't have to worry about it. Hmm, and that's where I think this is a tricky one with how it how it works or in this case doesn't. And we can see <laughs> this is one of the one of the civilizations that we'll see where they they are technically at a level where they should be joining the federation or doing something at that level but they don't and it becomes clear quite quickly this sort of thing is why because what they've got going wouldn't fly 
anywhere else no. here. And they're, they're stuck in their ways. They're kind of in a rut of just doing this. And as, as you mentioned in the recap, there's, it's so clean and efficient in its, oh yeah, this would be the attack, these, these the deaths, job done. But why would they do anything else? Like there's they, no, no consideration that they could fix it. Yeah, and they they treat themselves as so superior for doing so. Like Anand Seven keeps calling Kirk a barbarian mm. throughout. This is kind of because, like in the last episode, we had Bounce of Terror, where Kirk, where, where Kirk is really trying really hard not to start a war. And then you had Erin of Mercy way back, whatever episode we did, where you have Kirk going, war is our right as a civilized species to have and how dare you take it from us. And then you got Kirk here, who I think has one of the like better positions, where he's like, yeah, we could start a war, but we could also be better because we know what it takes and what it costs. I think like, I think Kirk's speech here at the end where he goes, yeah, I'm a barbarian, but I make a conscious choice to not murder today. I think that's one of Kirk's better speeches. Yeah. That I don't think gets praised enough. Actually, the teleplay was by, for this one, was by Gene Kuhn, who also did Errand of Mercy hmm. as well. And um, yeah, it, you can see that there are definite similarities in that respect, like of both of them on statements of war in in different ways. And yeah, you mentioned the hats. Are these the best hats in all of Star Trek? These are the best hats. I, I kept describing the costumes to you as like glam Thunderbirds puppets. Yeah. Because I couldn't look at them and not see like the international rescue uniforms from Thunderbirds. They even have like the sash. It's incredible. Later on in the episode, there's someone who evidently... Like, it... It's difficult to describe. You've got some which are like a pointy kind of thorn growing out of the head and a lot where it's like a kind of tube. Like mm. it's like that the top of a toothpaste tube or something. You it, know, it looks like it looks like Guinan's hat from Next Generation. I mean kind of like squeezed a mm. bit cuz it's there's a kind of columnar sort of shape. But then one of them has longer hair. And you can just see tufts of it out of the top as well when it's kind of yes. evidently all just scrunched together in this weird, um, this just uh, incredible shape of hat. Like, uh, why? Well, it's, yeah, it's incredible fashion. It is very uh, much <laughs> what I want to see from Star Trek. Uh, alongside our wonderful use of war, our hat technology is centuries ahead of your own. <laughs> See, I think out of all the classic episodes we've watched so far um, for the show, this gave me the most classic Doctor Who vibes. Because it reminded me of like one of those episodes of one of those Doctor Who stories where it takes place on like a colony in the future mm. and there's some rebels and the Doctor gets involved and essentially it all kind of boils down to the Doctor and the Companion running up and down the same set, pretending it's a different part of the colony, uh, while extras exchange gunfire. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely and, got that feeling. Like, this this, this had a lot of, like, sp 
I loved um, when Spock is just going around blowing up, um, b- blowing up uh, disintegration chambers like he's playing an FPS shooter. <laughs> like, like I love Spock's like, excuse me, I'm going to blow this up now. Yeah, I've had and a notification. Then, I need to move to the next checkpoint. Uh, yeah, um, can we have out of the way? Could... Some noobs. And then Spock is just going to start teabagging, teabagging noobs after he pones them. Oh. Be careful with your poning, guys. Yep. Keep it, keep it hygienic. So, um, do you have anything else to say about this episode? Uh, oh, oh, actually not. I think this is a really strong episode for Scotty. Yeah, yeah. We've not seen a huge amount of him. But I loved that he was like, yeah, no, I'm obviously no. having none of it with this terrible impression that is immediately discovered as being flimsy as hell of, um, of yeah, that kind of come down to the planet. I'm genuinely Kirk. <laughs> but Kirk GBT. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's like, I, I just love how Scotty was just like, yeah, fuck no. Hmm. Which, again, apparently was stuff that actually happened with James Doohan, um, rejecting orders from superiors when it would have got his men killed. And it's like, yeah, mm. yeah, fucking aye. Good, yeah. good work there. Like that's... That said, you're bad ambassador. Not quite a bad moral, but immediately just, oh, this guy's a piece of shit. And it was nice he got his, he got on the right track. Uh, yeah, I, I, the others. I, I feel sorry for his assistant, who I don't think had any lines, kind of got shot and died in a way, which I'm like, did, did he just fall over? And then you have the part where, like, the ambassador kind of checks him, and I, I thought that he was going to be, like, stunned or something like that. No, he's dead. But he just kind of looks like he's sitting in the corner, and the ambassador's just like, well, he's dead. Well, just going to leave him, just going to leave him sitting there. Oh, dear. Give me a gun. I am now proficient in gunplay. Yeah, yeah. Why not? So, um, yeah, Miles, we have a big list that this needs to go on, and this list from best to worst Star Trek episodes goes from number one with Emissary from Deep Space Nine, which I was just thinking about the other day about how fucking great an episode that was. Oh yeah, it's one that sticks with you a bit. Um, around the midpoint roughly we've got tng's genesis where barkley turns into a spider and wolf kills a guy and finally down the very bottom we have enterprise with future tense where sadly some timey-wimey nonsense doesn't really go all that fun or interesting so where on here does a taste of armageddon go oh man like i this was a fun one i had a i i this is one of those episodes of TOS where I can just kind of uh, pop it on and just have a good time because the plot moves at a clip. There's plenty of actual action, and then there are those hats. Oh my god! Yeah, again, best hats. Best uh, hats. If that is, if those are not the episode cover, I I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so we were talking about Errand of Mercy, and that's at 25 on our frankly, quite top-heavy list. Would you say that this is better or worse than Errand of Mercy? I would say this is better. Um, mm. Honestly, like, you know, Errand of Mercy introduces the Klingons, and you have uh, John Colicos kind of just loving 
his role as core. But I think this I think this is one like this has a good showing for Scotty. Um I think Kirk gets a Kirk gets a really good speech at the end. And like this This is this is less um while uh Aaron De Mercy has a lot of like Metal Gear Solid kind of thing, this is um this is Kirk and Spock basically doing a Doom level run and just running around the map. Oh, I so I guess let's see. Ooh, is it going to be better or worse than Tuvix? Better. <laughs> better than Tuvix. As much as I will defend, as much as I will and have and did defend Tuvix, I would rather taste Armageddon than taste Tuvix anytime soon. Uh, no, one, no one should have to taste Tuvix. Okay, uh, we got Spockamock with some body swap hijinks and some good old fun there from the, the Strange New Worlds posse. And Man. it's is that thing of fun episode or you know this is it's terrible to go yeah is this a makes you think kind of episode but i mean it's not it's still very silly like it's it it is very much an action it's an action episode yeah yeah i i like i think the question is this better than but then crossover at number 18 where odo fucking explodes Odo explodes in it. I think. I think I prefer crossover. Like it's okay. difficult because these are both really good episodes. Um, I think with this, I come away with more, more questions of just what the fuck are these people doing? Like it's it's an interesting allegorical situation, but it holds up. It carries less weight now than it did then. Because, mm. you know, you look at these sorts of things and go, oh, yeah, an algorithmically generated war, fine. But, you know, for us here, our military, our war, all of that is is an industry. And they yeah. they need, they, they're addicted to having ludicrous budgets, you know, um, ludicrous amounts of money and planet-destroying tech and all of these kind of things. Hey, and hey, hey. If you get rid of this- it... This is a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> we don't get political. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. There aren't politics in Star Trek, are there? No politics in no, Star Trek. Yeah. No. Who who would yeah. notice such a thing? Hmm. So, would you say this is better or worse than Spock and Mock? See, this isn't even a thing where they're strangely comparable. Like they yeah. are incredibly different episodes. I think this is. Like personally, I think I find Spockamock more fun, but I totally appreciate that this is probably the better episode between the hats, the non messaging, the the kind of again the terrible ambassador, the Scotty yeah. moments. I think this probably I, pips it just a bit. I yeah, I um I agree. So new number nineteen, new number nineteen. Hey, there's a Vietnam reference as well. Okay, oh, okay, so as long as you don't play Fortunate Son at any point in this episode, we're fine. Okay, I'll, I'll try not to do I, that. The, the, right, the rights, I don't think we can even afford the music rights. I mean, I'm still not 100% sure how, how any of that sort of thing works on podcasts, so I've just tried not yep. sampling 
anything really aside from our our titles which have been warped enough but uh hopefully hopefully that's fine yeah so that's one episode down well next up we have our second utopian world with suspiciously awful laws yes we've got a classic for you tonight it's star trek the next generation season one episode eight titled justice have you noticed that the episodes of Star Trek we've mostly been doing have been from season one and season seven? It's been an interesting one for that. I I, I know I have some seasons that I'm curious about with other shows like Late Voyager and Late Enterprise, where I, I literally have no clue what any of them are like. And I am I am excited and intrigued. But this one I've seen numerous, numerous times, even as a fairly casual Star Trek fan. It aired on the 9th of November 1987. The teleplay was by Wally Thorne. The story was by Ralph Willis and Wally Thorne. And it was directed by James L. Conway. Now the UK and US number one hits. The UK had the Bee Gees with You Win Again. Which I, I, I didn't I, think I was... I'd heard Bee Gees in the 80s. Like, yeah, no, I, I was... Gees. And I know I was, this from somewhere. I was surprised that it was the Bee Gees. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. it's like, yeah. Okay. They pivoted a bit. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds quite 80s. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting one. And then Tiffany with I Think We're Alone Now, which I think I've only heard in retrospectives of the 80s rather than in the 80s itself. You you know, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that there are songs which I know mostly for the Weird Al parody. Yep. Um, this is one of those with I Think I'm a Clone Now, which I'm surprised no one's done like a music video on YouTube um, taking that song and putting it to Spider-Man's Clone Saga. Oh, dear. Well, until Across the Spider-Verse, I guess, the general public have not been aware of Ben Riley. Yeah. And, um... uh, you know, I, I think I'm a clone now. There's only two of me just hanging around. I think I'm a clone now. Every shirt I wear is a hand-me-down. And, you know, a cut-off cut hoodie as well. A cut-off hoodie. Blo- you bleach my hair blonde. Exactly. Yes. So 90s. Anyway. This is not a Ben Riley podcast. It isn't. It isn't. Bless his terrible clone self. His, um, yeah, his blonde highlights. He's, and... he's not... The, the worst part is he's not even the worst Peter Parker clone. No, no, not even the worst one in the 616, you know. No. No, Kane exists. So, Kane, not, hang on, what about the one who was like the, the, the stretchy one? Oh god, like the, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's so many of them. There are, there are way too many. And Ben Riley somehow, I'd say probably upper half, that's how bad so many of the spider clones are. Anyway, on that note, Back to uh, back to Star Trek and to justice. So, right, if you start right. the timer, I'm gonna start the timer. Hang on a second. Ah, ah, red alert. Okay, brace for right. impact. Okay, all right, Charlie. I want you to engage our narrative drive recap factor five and. Engage. Welcome to Planet Fuck, 
Riker and his away team are really happy to inform the Enterprise that Rubicon 3 is DTF. Yeah, and that means one thing. Time for shore leave. Picard suggests that Wesley goes down to the planet as well as part of a test group just to make sure that these aren't secretly weird sex murderers or anything. Meanwhile, up on the ship, there are some weird signals in space, so everyone else has to check that out and wait impatiently while uh, the kind of the scouting team determines that Rubicon 3 is safe. Planet side, it's some kind of like wellness spa meets an orgy that's safe for primetime network TV. Everyone jogs around all the time and wears weird, like somewhere between mini togas and romper suits. And the guys have the tits cut out of theirs. They're all very big huggers. And Troy only senses a healthy sensuality in them. This all makes Wesley so, so very awkward. And the adults, <laughs> oh my God. And yeah, the adults assure him, don't worry, there'll be other kids near the council chambers. Yes, they will be dressed like this as well, but you'll at least be able to hang out with kids your own age. Do not go inside the council chambers. You are not old enough to see what goes on there. And um, yes, they've mentioned that the only law here is consent, which is great. But it does feel like they're leaving out some really glaring omissions that we will get to later. Um, sure enough, Wesley finds some kids, and that's good, as they take them away from the uh, the gym slash dance studio slash group makeout session. That's the uh, the council chambers. Meanwhile, up on the ship, the sensors pick up a weird ghost ship. It's all transparent in space and looks really cool up there. And then a glowing orb pops out. Freaks people out throughout the ship, asks the crew to state their purpose, all like shaking the ship as it does so. And um, Jean-Luc says, we're peaceful. And the sphere doesn't care, doesn't want them to leave anyone on the planet. And then whacks Data in the head and starts interfacing all over him. Uh, Riker, back on the planet. <laughs> you, did that on, you did that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Riker, uh, back on Rubicon 3, isn't even hiding how much he's ogling everyone in the council chambers. Worf is not quite as down for fucking as he fears breakage, a hollow boast given the amount of humans he's had relationship with in the future, or humanoids he's had relationships with in the future. Riker calls up to the ship and hears no reply, so he decides to rally the troops all calm-like. When he speaks to Tasha, she says... She's learned there aren't any laws as the Edo people randomly select an area where anything untoward gets you killed. No one knows where it is, so no one misbehaves. Isn't this great? What? Even like walking on the grass, Tasha asks, is a, a frankly ominous portent. And yet, sure enough, Wesley's playing ball with the Edo kids, falls into some new plants like an utter burk. And guess what? That's the punishment zone today. Yeah. Fuck planets filth show up and they're surprised when Wesley admits to his crime, but his with Starfleet, they don't lie. Okay, um, you said that with too much uh, passion there, so that's a terrible line read. I I've practiced and I can't get it as bad as he did. Hang, hang on, hang on. I'm with Starfleet. We don't lie. Like Even Riker looks upset by that line delivery and also for judgment as well. Um, One minute left. Up on the ship, the sphere is done with data, 
and the comms are back in order, and Jean Luc is summoned for planet because things got serious. Um, there's a chat for, uh, with the Edo people about how humans used to kill people like backwards fuckwits, and the Edo <laughs> aren't really keen on the tone of voice that the Federation are taking. Um, they suggest, okay, fine, if you're so all-powerful, just take Wesley and flee, and you'll be on our blacklist for the rest of time, and Picard can't. Uh, not just because it's fuck planet, but also because the Prime Directive. Um, JL asks if they know possibly about a ghost ship in space, and the Edo go, oh, you mean God, right? Picard takes one of them up on the ship, and she freaks the fuck out. This is the Edo God, and the Edo God also freaks out and shakes the ship saying put her back right now or else which they do um up on the ship data is awake and explains that nope. god no data no oh no uh that there we go uh you hit time i hit my knee as well great Ooh. okay time up okay okay all right before we restart the timer i want you to try again with the i'm with starfleet we don't lie Okay, now, ju ju now just think. Okay, here, I'm going to give you some motivation. Okay. Um, you could have been you could have been playing ball with the hot Aryan kids, but instead you wussed out. Are instead playing ball. Um, you're disappointed in yourself. Um, you just went into the punishment zone, which is the worst crystal maze level, and you're you've been broken the law, and you're about to be put to death. So, with all this in mind. I want you to repeat after me, I'm with Starfleet. We don't lie. Go. I'm with Starfleet. We don't lie. Okay, kid, I, I think you're going to make it in this business. Wow. Okay. All right. Okay. And now I'm going to, are you ready to finish the recap in the episode? Yeah. Yeah, sure. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm with Casual Trek. We don't fuck up the recap. <laughs> all right and engage play ball yeah so anyway data is awake now and says that he and the edo god had a bit of a chat in his brain and the god is a ship full of beings half in this dimension and in other ones too they consider the edo theirs and they know all about the Prime Directive from Data and might look a bit badly on the Enterprise if it breaks its own rules, as well as the Edo's. Might look at them as a bit shit, really. So Picard talks it out with Data and immediately shoots down all talk of the trolley problem as he doesn't care for maths. And, you know, same, JL, same. Uh, down on the planet, it's time for the trial. Oh, yeah. The Edo think the... Uh, these guys on the Enterprise might be actual gods, and they're not gods, they're just naughty boys. Picard gets ready to break the Prime Directive and beam out with Wesley, only to have the Edo verbally very upset, but not actually doing a fight, so they don't do that sort of thing. Um, the god, on the other hand, does, and it won't let them beam off until Picard starts um, lecturing the sky pretty much about how there can't be justice without exceptions like Wesley's general ignorance and Riker goes oh yes when there's justice been as simple as a rule book and with that the Edo gods say yeah fair enough and lets them beam off and uh, yeah well done Wesley you ruined a trip to planet fuck the end 
One minute, 38 seconds. I had too much fun with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The, the world. The, the, the outfits. I, I would just, I would hate the planet just for all the running. Yeah. Yeah, my God. I am an overweight man. I am going to have some problems if I have to jog everywhere there. Like, you know, there, there are some fashions in Star Trek which I would wear, like the, the male mini dress thing. I, I would yeah. wear. Oh, but fair. like the, but like the, um, the Emma Frost in new X-Men cut out, um, X breast look, not a fan. It's a weird look. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah, don't get me wrong. It's like, okay, everyone's like this here. But, um, yeah, it, it feels a little impractical there. And, um, yeah, I guess fashion crime isn't punishable by death. Got you, Edo. Ah, so, um, is it just me or any, whenever you find a planet in these shows where everyone is blonde and attractive? you start immediately looking for the door because there's going to be some crimes. Oh, there's going to have been some eugenics going on here. Like, the the Edo god go, and the Edo themselves go, oh yeah, we had some real barbaric times. We got up some really heinous, heinous shit in our time, and now we're peaceful. It's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, did you, did you hate crime some people to death, Edo? I'm with, Star- I'm with Starfleet. We don't commit hate crime. Yeah. Oh man. Dear. Oh god. Um, I remember this one as a kid. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing this one on. Uh, I think probably would have been Sky One. And I remember the bit where Wesley breaks the glass mm. and is immediately put to death. It's it's a classic moment, you know. As is the terrible line delivery, and yeah. you know I. I've read, what was it, Memories from the Future? Will Wheaton's, like, when I was getting into Will Wheaton with the tabletop um, YouTube show and all that, I read his Just a Geek and his Memories from the Future, which were him recapping the first half of season one of TNG and him talking about being hated by, I think it was some of the writers or the director or someone in charge of this one. And between the outfit and just the story in general, it's like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, I guess at that time as a child, especially a few episodes in, you're not going to go. I think this line is utter garbage, but oh my god, yeah, utter garbage. Like, sometimes when it comes to bad acting, it it really does come down with how much the director is working with you. Mm. Like because like you know there are very few actors who can deliver a line. Every, who can deliver a line every time perfectly. Like, I'm sure, like, if you watch Patrick Stewart's career, there have been times when even the mighty Sir Pat Stu has flubbed the read. Yeah. Um, but man, like, I'm sorry. I, I don't, like, you know, I'm, you know, like, a planet of people who are offer, offering Wesley sex, and he's not doing backward somersaults and screaming, woohoo, finally. <laughs> This is what I've dreamed of my entire adolescence. Well, how old is he at this point? Oh, my God. Like, because, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I guess he's been fairly sheltered. Like, you know, I'm surprised that Riker's just not going to get in there, Wes. 
yeah oh god Riker really would as well like Riker I'm surprised Riker's out of you Wesley (laughs) Wesley I command you to fuck (laughs) this is (laughs) this is how I pop my cherry for your first sex planet (laughs) oh oh god maybe maybe it's embarrassed because his mum's there on the ship well yeah like I this episode just kind of fizzles out Yes. Like this yeah. like this is just I don't know, I don't know. Like it's it's bad but in an entertaining and kind of watchable way. It's definitely one of the one of the one of the fun bad episodes of season 1. It's no code of honor. Yeah. Know? Like um but yeah, it's it is definitely not good. <laughs> it's like um <laughs> It's like how 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 do you describe this episode? Well, Wesley doesn't fuck, and that causes problems for everyone, including God. Yeah, God is not happy about any of this. Yeah, you don't quite hear exactly why and what's going on with that as well. It's not like they leave and go back at some point and go, yeah, we should have done something about this weird cosmic entity that treats sentient beings like it's pets. You know, Mm. they're kind of weird like wellness spa terrarium you know it, it's almost as if the the prime directive um only goes as far as the as the writing demands of it on an episode per episode basis weird that stick a pin in that yeah yeah so as, <sighs> as far as episodes go um on our on our big list i'm i'm having a look i i've scrolled i've scrolled down not too far, though. Is this going to be better or worse than Move Along Home? <sighs> okay. Um, God, you're asking me to compare this to Alan, to our beloved Alan Moraine. Alan Moraine! <laughs> um, God, we need I... to get people doing a shot whenever we do that. <laughs> and then, yeah, listen to episode 16 and then just die. From yeah, the alcohol, all the all the almorane, yeah, drinking moraine. Ah, uh, I, I don't know. Okay, like, they're both they're both not great, but they're enjoyably watchable in yeah. their own ways. Especially like when they beam up the um the Edo woman, and she just immediately just kind of ha- starts having a panic attack. Yeah. I think that's that's very convincing. Like it's not the last time Picard's going to do that to a woman as well. Uh, just uh, hey, I'm introducing you to space as a as just a concept. <laughs> um, personally, I think that they're both very not good but fun. I mm. think Move Along Home might be a bit stronger, um, just because the actors, while it's still early days for both. Both with this and that one, there are some, there are some deliveries. Here. Justice feels really awkward, mm. and it, it's kind, of, you know, it, it, you know how we um we joke that in Encounter at Farpoint, you can see Patrick Stewart just imagining his career dying in real time whenever you see a close up. Yeah, I feel like everyone's kind of embarrassed to be jogging around the CrossFit planet. Yeah. But that just might be my hatred of jogging at work. Yeah, God, I'm pleased I, I don't have 
that at mine. Um, speaking of which, then, is it better or worse than Encounter at Farpoint? It's certainly shorter. Ooh, it's it's much. It's better because it is shorter. Okay, like are the Edo people more entertaining than um, Grapplers on? Grapplers on. Yeah. No, but I, I would love to see Grapplers on jogging around on the fuck planet. Oh, oh, I don't know okay. if I would. Jogging around in the fuck planet. That's that's um <laughs> that's my uh alternate art slab punk group from the eighties. Nice. Okay. Or altern- alternatively, my weird black and white alternative eighties comic. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, definitely. In some kind of zine sold out the back of the van in some some festival. It it's definitely been sold in a head shop. Yeah. And like, and then you know, that's before I get really pop with like the mainstream comic, and then everyone's just kind of bringing up, um, grab jogging on the fuck planet, and it's kind of really embarrassing at this point. So, better or worse than Encounter at Farpoint then? <laughs> better. Okay. Cool. Better because better because it is shorter. Okay. Um, I guess up from there we've got what the Broken Circle, the yep. the beginning <laughs> of season two of strange new worlds um which you know has some fun bits definitely i i think we're a little a little harsh on it but we'd had some really really good episodes and it did not did not compare yeah i think broken circles probably better than this yeah at the very least for the acting (laughs) yeah and then on either end we've got um two episodes from prodigy which oh, yeah. are we allowed to are we allowed to talk about prodigy for tax reasons anymore oh god no we need to retroactively remove any prodigy yep. from here we 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 never watched star trek prodigy for tax purposes yeah if anyone asks we've never covered it yeah i'm going to need to find yeah. some episodes off the back of a van at some point yep. if we cover it again um the digi the yeah. digi back of a digi van exactly okay so are we saying worse than Broken Circle, better than Worst. Encounter at Farpoint. Yes. My word, is is Encounter at Farpoint going to be the worst episode of TNG until we cover Code of Honor? Um, probably not. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Well, that's... Actually, some... no, because, um, do we encounter, do we can count, does Nemesis count as a movie or a TNG? As a movie. Okay. Because then I think Nemesis might be might have it beat. Ah, so... But, like, we have years to go before we reach Nemesis, thank God. Oh, my, yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, in at number 49 out of 59, we have Justice. It's better than Broken Bow. I'll say that. Um, yeah. Okay. So... Finally, we have an episode which I think this episode was built around because yes. someone needed to have words about this. Oh, someone <laughs> did. Okay, so this episode is Star Trek colon Strange New Worlds, Season 1, Episode 6, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. It aired on the 9th of June, 2022, 
Written by Ursula Le Guin. No, wait. No, sorry. no wait, wait. No. Written by Robin Wasserman and Bill Wolkoff. Directed by Andy Armaganian. The UK and US number one hits were both the same thing. They were Harry Styles, as it was. Last time this appeared, I got it mixed up with the other one. And I can't remember which episode that was. Oh, well. Um, it's right. It's a bit take on me-ish. Like, you know... I think, yeah, I think I got this one confused with um, The Weeknd. Maybe not. Um, with the song which appeared in, like, I think it was the first episode of Miss Marvel. Oh, okay. Huh. Um, yeah. But, no, um, it's fine. Like, Harry Styles is... Harry Styles is talented. There's your hot take. It's yeah. like, he, like, yeah, he's a reasonably talented member of a manufa- of a clearly manufactured boy band from the British pop industry. Like, yeah. Yeah. He has talent. Like he's not just that he's not just it. a pretty I was mixing up with Jack Harlow's one. Ah, okay. And then I had it in my head over a day or two after we did that recording. And I went and found Jack Harlow and was like, this isn't it. Um but yeah. Um yeah, in this case it's fine. Yeah, like it. Yeah, it feels like there's some some definite retro throwbacky things. Which I, 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 I want to say it's too it's overly produced, but when it comes to music, I never understand what people say when it's sat when they say it sounds overly produced. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Maybe like maybe maybe I should you know maybe like I'm on the die Discord, so maybe I should ask Kieran Gillen that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you should. Um, Remember, I just stress trying to get Kieran Gillen on our Star Trek podcast to explain oh what overly produced, like just to explain what overly produced means. Yeah, just the um, God, that'd be amazing. It'd end up oh, being just the talk of what the number one hits were and nothing at all about Star Trek. Yeah, just I just I just want to go just to, you know just meet Kieran Gillen. And go okay, fine. Harry Styles, yay or nay. Oh, is Harry Styles better than Dexy's Midnight Runners? Which is a deep phonogram cut. Oh dear. Because oh, you have the one character in phonogram who's obsessed with Dexy's Midnight Runners. I mean, Dexy's is better. Dexy's, well, Dexy's <laughs> is better. Out of voice. Anyway, anyway, none of this <laughs> is for point, and I'm just watching the time tick up. I, I, I just want to mention I'm that while you're aware of my editing. <laughs> I, I I hope we. I just want to mention that while you were telling us who wrote the episode and not Ursula K. Le Guin, I was shadowboxing as I prepare for this episode. He was. He was psyching himself up, getting ready I, for I, a fight. I was. I was feeling tough and lean, like roast, like corned beef. Okay. Wow. Not tough and lean, like someone that's had to jog all over the place on the Edo planet for ages. God no. No. Anyway. Um. Yes. Yeah, so. I believe you're the one recapping this. Uh, I, so I, five I minutes. Have fun and hit it. The Enterprise is going to the planet Majalis, um, where Pike once w- once went on a mission when he was an ensign, and he um, met a girl there who he completely failed to get off with. Um, but this time around, uh, they receive a distress call from a shuttlecraft which is being un- attacked by a warship. Um, Enterprise destroys the warship and the shuttlecraft's personnel are beamed on board. There is, surprise, surprise, Alora, the um the, the woman who uh Pike 
uh, met and totally blew it with, who is now a leader on the planet, um, a boy who was simply called the First Servant, um, no red flags there, and his father, who is also his physician, uh, Gamel, no red flags there. Uh, Pike agrees to return them to Majalis. Um, the, the First Servant is taken to sickbay, uh, where Majalis um, impresses Mbenga with the advanced medical technology on the planet. It turns out this boy has some implants. Uh, you see, the first servant is someone who is groomed for a, a, a role. He's a very important part of the Majalis society. Um, no red flags there. M Mbenga starts to realize that maybe Majalis' medical te technology could help him with his daughter, Rukia. Rukia uh, is, has a life-threatening medical condition, and to keep her alive while Umbenga searches for a cure, uh, she exists in the transporter buffer of the ship, and he, he, can only, he only brings her out for minutes at a time to keep the pattern fresh in the, in the system. They go, back, they, they go back to the planet, and Pike, Pike makes it with Alora. Someone got, you know, someone, he did what Wesley Crusher did not do in the previous episode, and get some. Good on Pike. So Pike and Alora are trying to discover who was behind the warship attack. Meanwhile, Uhura and um, La'an, uh, because Uhura's working in security detail at this point, are trying to do their own investigation. The first servant becomes friends with Rukia, but meanwhile, Gamal fakes his uh, attempts to fake his son's death to keep him from returning to the planet, because apparently he has an ascension ceremony next day, which is very important. But Gamal doesn't want him to go to Pike and the others. They they do their investigating, and it turns out that there is a colony of people who have rejected Majalis's society. See, Majalis appears to be this perfect utopian society where nothing bad ever happens. It is, in fact, perfect. Who would want to walk away from that? Red flag. And Spock discovers um, the first servant hiding in a cargo box. And um, La'an and Uhura realize that Gamal was behind the faken death. And while... Uhura and Lahan are interrogating Gamal. Pike takes the first servant back down to the planet um, with Alora, so he can go through the ascension ceremony. Um, there's a big, there's a big ceremony. Everyone's praising the the first servant. You know, it's great. And then they take him to the second part of the ceremony. Where's this? Where there is a a machine. The machine powers the entire Majala society. And Pike's just standing there going, this is fine. Like, what What happens? What happens? And Alora's got, you will see, it's wonderful. And they pull out a crispy chicken nugget of a person from the machine. And Pike goes, oh, wait, is that a child? And Alora's like, yeah-huh. And Pike starts to realize, wait a second. What happens when you put the first servant in the, in the chair? It's going to be fine, right? Right? And um, the first servant is plugged into the chair and the electrodes go in. And Pike realizes that the first servant is doomed for crispy chicken nuggetdom. 
This machine is powered by children. Oh no! For some reason. For some bloody reason. Th- this was the point, like, a few minutes beforehand, I had to kind of pause. Um, I was rewatching this with my wife, Rihanna, and I had to pause and go, by the way, I hate this episode. I was debating whether or not to oh. show this episode in the recap. Oh, and yeah. Pike, okay. Hang on. Hang on. It's all right. Sorry to, to interrupt you mid, mid rant, but go on. Pike is grabbed by security guards when he tries to get the child not plugged into the child death machine. And the child is plugged into the machine. Uh, Pike promptly headbutts someone, uh, one of the guards, which was the best part of the episode. And the child is trapped in the machine where he is going to die and be reduced to a crispy chicken nugget and then be replaced by the next first servant. Why? Um, Pike is Pike. Um, is basically told by Laura, "Yeah, that's that's how this works. This is how this works in our perfect society." And Pike doesn't headbutt her. I really wanted Pike to grab Laura and just headbutt her. And um, Pike, you know, does the most incredible Star Trek thing and just goes, "This is weird." Pike out. And he beams back up to the ship. He says, "Like, yeah, no, no, we're we're not. We, um, our relationship status on Facebook is now it's complicated. Child death was involved. <laughs> Gamel is going to go off to join the colony of people who are rebelling against the society. How they're rebelling, I I don't know. Perhaps like an aggressive leafleting campaign. It's never really described. And the Enterprise crew are just like, yeah, okay, you." You got this. Good on you. Uh, bye. Um, but Umbenga gets some help from Gamal to advance to help kind of treat his his daughter's medical condition. But Gamal's just like, yeah, um, I'm not allowed to share my advanced technology, which is taken from ill-gotten child death. My child died, and that means I'm just going to give you a post-it note saying, maybe try this. End! End. 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 Charlie. Uh, yeah. I have a que- I have a question for you. Do you now? That's two minutes eleven and two minutes eleven. Mars. What is what is your question? We're just putting this on the bottom of the list straight away without debating it, right? This this is the worst episode of Star Trek it's... we've seen, and I... <sighs> so... we've we've seen Bark. Okay. Here's the thing. We've seen Barkley turn into a spider. We've yeah. seen Worf definitely kill a guy. We've definitely. seen Picard run around um, spraying Troy pheromones, and that was all in the same episode. Yeah. We, we've we seen Wesley uh, fuck up Planet Fuck. Oh. Um, we've seen Odo explode. We have seen some weird, we have seen some stupid, and we have seen some lazy television and i i hated this i in comparison to tuvix i liked tuvix this is such a difficult one because like quality wise it all looks good like the actors all look good they do the words they do the acting 
Uh, what is it? Alora is Lindy Booth, who was great in Librarians and is good in her... Like, they are good in their roles, but there is something fundamentally missing here. And frankly, like, so I got into a big conversation with Emma um, a few days ago uh, with my partner. And we were saying... Um, she was asking about the Universal Translator. And... She has a very inquiring mind, and in this case was wanting to know why, how, how does it work if you're like off in the middle of nowhere or in in time, elsewhere in time, and all that. Like, how does this still work? And I was like, frankly, I, I don't care. Don't know. Like, unless yeah. it's a core element of a story, I don't need to know why it works. Because if I know why it works, if the writers explain how it works, future writers have to know how it does and doesn't work. It's like how uh, knowing exact amounts of superhero strength means you know exactly who would win in a fight between these two people when the real answer should be whoever the writer determines in that moment. You know, there are going to be external factors. There's going to be different things. But... Like, that's one of the the things I liked about... Like, in Doctor Who, um, originally, like, it, it took 14 years... Until one of the companions kind of went, hang on, why are these people, why are these Italians speaking in English? And the doctor just said, yeah, it's part of the TARDIS. And then that just kind of got in the new, in the modern series, it basically got translated into, it's part of the, it's part of how the TARDIS works. It gets in your head. So. And, sorry. Like, so with the translators, I've been like, so that's fine. I don't care. I don't need yeah. to know because it's not going to help me in the narrative. No, I understand why people do things or why anything is is what it is because I don't. I don't need to know the intricate mechanics to you know. I'm not a. I'm not a Brandon Sanson reader or anything yeah. like that. You know, but but this episode is very much an exception to that because. I would have liked even the flimsiest fucking explanation as to why you need to plug a child in a child-killing machine <laughs> to, make, to make the Sky City go. Even if they yeah. went, oh, God tells us to. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you just... Okay, there, there, you, there you go. Yeah. Fine, fine. I am 100% more on board with this episode if it is because of this. We get absolutely nothing. And I am a lot less immediate like i was re-watching it going oh i've seen this twice i saw it once via means before paramount plus i saw it once with emma and then i saw it once for this and uh, re-watching i was like is this gonna be like i've loved pretty much all of strange new worlds i'm I'm a really big fan of the cast of the show all of that and Where's it like? What's where's the fuck up going to be? I know it's going to be the child killing machine because mm. how is it not the child killing machine? But um, yeah, there were a lot of things of going. Okay, they're asking a lot fewer questions than maybe they should. And I, yeah. I get the we can't really interfere with these people. They have much like your fellas in our first episode of the night. They are utopian, technologically advanced conspicuously wary of joining the federation because the moment the federation looks at their laws they'd be like oh fuck oh no no you you bad guys like there are real issues with how you run things here and you're gonna need to stop it right now and 
because these are earlier days in the federation than like TNG, they're a bit less, a bit more willing to go, oh, we really need to not interfere with this. But, you know, it felt, I remember in an earlier watch thinking, this feels like Pike's going to come back here in a decade and kick off. But he'll be dead by then. He'll be uh, dead. <laughs> he'll be dead. Um, actually, that was one positive I had of this, of realising that fundamental difference with Alora, who's like, yeah, we we basically kill a kid. And Pike, who is very much, I'm going to have to die to save some kids. Yeah. And... Um, see, mm. I... The second time I watched, I watched this. Yeah. Um, I I've been introduced my wife Rihanna to slowly to start to Star Trek. Um, we've been doing Lower Decks, and that's been her favorite. And then we've basically been doing Strange New Worlds because eventually there's going to be the Lower Decks crossover episode. Of course. And as I was watching this, I've been I like I stopped. I think like at the half like at the half hour mark. And I just said, just so because I was debating to tell her at the start, and whatever. And I'm just like, just, just so, like, 30 minutes in, just so you know, I goddamn hate this episode. And then she started to, to cotton on about this is ending in child death. And the thing is, it's not like that's a trick. Like, like when I mentioned Hello from the Magic Tavern, child death is a common occurrence in the podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. There's even a song in-universe called So Much Child Death and Foon. Mm. And we were just, we were just kind of joking, we just end up joking, like, who the hell builds a machine that operates on children? And at yeah. what point do you, at what point does someone go, wait, wait, so like, we just plugged a child in, because reasons. Like, so the, the planet the is all like... The, the founders designed a machine which says, please insert one child like a double D battery, and no one went, why? Well, we got these lava rivers. We got this terrible blighted planet, which I expected was we are very advanced. We're very decadent. We fucked our planet over. We've made these sky cities, which again somehow run on a child being plugged into it for a decade, and it just runs off that somehow. Um, like again, when did this start? How how is this? Just give me something to hand wave, and I'll yeah. be fine like, with it. Did you ever see Torchwood Children of Earth? Yes. Fantastic piece of television. Yeah. I will never watch it again, because when I finished it, I wanted to kill myself for a couple of days. But the re like the Yeah, the reason why the, 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 the creepy aliens want the children is because it's like a drug. Yeah, and like that becomes so simple, that becomes like terrifying because it's so, it's the banality of evil. Hmm. And the other kind of like part of the conversation, like Rihanna and I were having, and she has not seen as much Star Trek as I have. But even she was like, "Yeah, like in any other show, in any other episode of Star Trek, the moment the crew find out that the society is powered by a child death machine, you know what happens." They find a way to morally justify breaking the prime directive yeah. to make sure the child death machine becomes a dead child death machine. Whereas well, in it and in this, it just feels like the writers are just patting themselves on the back, going, We killed a child. Isn't that edgy? Oh, isn't this a difficult situation? And the thing is, you have some episodes where you go, 
oh, this is a difficult situation, but unfortunately we can't do much about it because of how, how just fucked everything is. But that's but, in quite different situations. That's in no, more weird, like, dire kind of things. And but like nine times out of ten, the Prime Directive only exists so the characters can break the Prime Directive. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form. And... The story basically, the the story's ending essentially revolves around everything. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm just getting a timer because I've, you're, I've. A thing. You're probably, oh, so do I. So do I. Um. Can, so, can I? You go first. Okay. So, what you're saying about this Starfleet would figure it out, would find a way. I'm going to turn a timer on myself. Okay. Because. I'm going to talk about something I've talked for probably well over 24 hours about um, in all of the many, many rants I've had. So, Man of Oper Steel. Oh, okay. I thought you going to go with Man Operation Galactic Storm. No, no, no. Man of Steel. Superman fucking kills Zod. He fucking kills him. Snaps his neck. Kills him. Dead. This is bad. This is rubbish. And the thing is, Superman... Is, give, is supposed to be given near impossible things. And they're kind of, oh no, he could only have killed him. No, Superman finds a way, no matter what. And people have even listed dozens of different ways he could have resolved the situation, could have stopped that fight without murdering a person. And aside from the kind of, oh, he needed to learn not to kill a guy, which, yeah, we all do that. We all murder someone to learn not to kill a guy. But if he choose case, not to kill today. He, yeah. For, uh, but anyway... He figures out a way because he's better, and that is what Superman is, and that is what Star Trek is as well. All right. Um, okay. Now I need the timer. Okay. Okay. That. So, timer, go. In the Peter Capaldi episode of Doctor Who, Kill the Moon, the in, uh, where it turns out the moon is actually an egg containing a oh, dragon. Yeah. yeah. There is a point when the people, like a bunch of people on the moon, have to debate whether or not to kill the dragon in the moon to stop it destroying the earth. And the story is essentially revolves around the doctor doing the one thing the doctor never does in the situation, which is the doctor just going, You're humans, you sort it out, stepping in a TARDIS and buggering it off for 10 minutes so we can have a debate. But that fundamentally goes, like, if you have to fundamentally make your main character go against the, the the tenets of what makes your character work it's bad writing it's not it's not clever writing like you know i've like x-men we've seen the x we've seen cyclops we've seen wolverine we've seen beast justify horrendous things mm. for the greater good of the of, of mutants but it makes it work in these characters because you see how these characters are pushed to have to kind of bend their moral codes for a greater good, and it's part of an evolving story. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it just feels like... It feels like they ran out of time and didn't do it feels, the actual conclusion. It, like, Tuvix has a has a fantastic conclusion because yeah. it's, it's all based on, Captain, on Catherine Janeway having to make the worst decision, and at no point does Tuvix try and hand wave it, try and make it morally better, um, or anything. It, you know, it basically ends with Janeway going, "Well, 
gonna kill Tuvix to to make sure we get Neelix and Tuvok back. Mm. Here, at no, at what point it becomes lazy writing? We basically have to go. Yeah, the one thing we're gonna have our characters do is counter to every single moral code we've seen the characters exhibit unto up till now. It just feels like really poor writing because it feels like they want it to be more edgy and kind of dark. It then... feels like what that not maybe not Mark Miller, because it, it doesn't have any slurs in it. But um no. that kind of oh yeah, the good guys Right, the good guys can't actually save the day because of their moral code. So you know, maybe they're not that good after all. Hmm. Mm. You see, because they're like, oh yeah, we have to be nice. We don't. We can't just murder all these people for doing their child killing blood machine. We thing. we can't. We can't just build them like a gravity engine. We can't just go. Hey, you have. Why not go down a couple of dec- a couple of like centuries in technology, and we'll build. We'll build you a floating space city. Which, hey, guess what? It doesn't rely on child death. Okay, so if they moved that to say the midpoint and go, oh fuck, oh fuck, their machine relies on child death. Now we've got that. We now can, we got some technology. Join the Federation. We'll give you yeah, all like, the tech to bring you again a couple hundred years under, but like still they, really good. And they went, no, we're addicted oh, to this like they, this level of technology. Have, they have the colony on the moon. So it's just like, why can't you just like Okay, so um There's the other problem um, with this story. There's oh, no, you go. I was going to say one of the games of the of Avery Alder's magnificent map drawing game, The Quiet Year. Uh, I think it was the second game we did of it. We created an island, and people were living on there. And we had like a lack of trade and drinkable water, and a, a surplus of religion, like zealous religion. And the firstborn were killed just routinely. That ended up their fate, and. The people that were on the other islands in this archipelago, we kind of zoomed out and they became our protagonists as we realized these were all the firstborn. They were like, yeah, fuck that noise. I'm guessing the people on that colony were all around that kind of age. You're like, yeah, we don't, all parents no, and no. kids going, expecting a child. We don't want them in the lottery for this. So, yeah, I wonder if that colony just has these 10 year gaps between everyone that's there. So, now do we talk about Ursula K. Le Guin? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Ursula K. Le Guin, fantastic writer. Wonderful. Uh, the, Dispos- yeah. the Dispossessed, Lave of Heaven, um, the, the, hand of du- the Left Hand of Darkness. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the Earthsea. Uh, Earth, and, of course, the Earthsea. One of my oldest, most battered novels is, is a collection of what was then the Earthsea trilogy. And I, yeah, I had yeah. a goldfish named Ged. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, she, <laughs> she, look, I remember the shit gets Ged doesn't pause in the first book, so yeah, I get it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> she wrote a short story called "Those Who Walk Away from Omelas." We've been subtly seeding it through this episode. Okay, I see. I, I see Charlie's side eye. Um. 
And yeah, she wrote a story called Those Who, Wa- Those Who Walk Away from Omelas, which operates as a kind of thought experiment where the narrator of the story uh, narrates, describes this perfect utopian society. And throughout the story, the narrator was going, but you don't buy it, do you? This is you, you know, you don't, you inherently distrust the idea of utopia. So here you go. In a cupboard, there is a child, and the child has everything bad happen to him. Um, and the child has to have bad things happen to him in order for utopia to work. And when people, fi- everyone gets to find out, and then everyone gets the choice to walk away from Omelas. And I, de- I think it's one of like the most, one of the greater short stories in the science fiction canon. I think it has that problem that people, I think there are people who take it literally hmm. and treat it as like a metaphor for cap for for capitalism for the kind of the society we live in today where i think it's more of a metaphorical idea on how humans can't can only imagine dystopia and find utopia to be inherently distrustful because we can't believe anything will be perfect yeah yeah it's it's an interesting story as as that it is incredibly short and it is possible to find online if you if people want to check it out i if i remember i might even add it in the show notes but it's it's all right like it's not one of her best and yeah it mainly works if you think of it as that sort of thought experiment um yeah and personally yeah. that kind of oh we've got a weird society doing weird things like the lottery by shirley jackson is is definitely a a kind of a it's, better version it, if you want an actual story of it. Yeah, but, and it, um, it just becomes a case of not everything can be t- turned into a fig into a figurative like one to one allegory. You can you know sometimes subtext is me- metaphor is metaphor and subtext is subtext, and you can't take something that's meta like to go with X Men. You can only take the mutant metaphor so far yeah like you can say that metaphor that the mutants are a metaphor for any oppressed minor any oppressed ethnic race on ethnic or racial gender or sexual minority but you can only take the metaphor so far because the fact that mute the fact that humans fear mutants because that their powers are so dangerous and destructive becomes understandable when you have magneto reversing the earth magnetic field every other week or you have this guy quite literally called apocalypse who is trying to kill humanity to to separate the weak from the strong um sometimes metaphor can metaphor can only go so far because if you start trying to make everything into a lit a literal one exchange of one for the other it can quite quickly fall apart in ways you're not intending Yeah, and and yeah, in this one's case, I don't know. It was a, a well-crafted episode, technically, but also, yeah, it feels like it was fundamentally lacking in in what it did. If it was an end, like if this was an episode of, say, the Twilight Zone mm. or the Outer Limits, it would work much stronger. 
Yeah. Because, you know, it basically becomes an allegorical play for television. Mm. Like, after, 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 you know, after the twist is, oh, this fantastic utopia turns out runs on child death. Uh, credits. Oh, it, what a twist. What, what a twist. Aren't Ooh. we clever? Oh, yeah. Um, but on the back. When, well done. When you when you try and t- when you try and transcribe it into an episode of a long-running franchise which has been going from the 60s which prides itself on being able to on using television on using science fiction as being able to talk about ideas, to talk about concepts, to talk about political whatever when you try and turn it into a part of a franchise, all you've really done is given us an episode of, of the franchise where the characters essentially have to fall over themselves to make the story work. So, having a look at our list, currently in place number 59 is Enterprise with the episode Future Tense, which had some time travel things and as i've mentioned whenever i've recapped what our list is the biggest issue is that fundamentally while it sounded like a fun idea of oh we've got a kind of tardis type thing we've got some slight timey-wimey things none of the execution was poor the execution was bad and while our list doesn't really get bad until I think until you're just under um what prodigy yeah you got more troubles more tribbles so 52 and you start getting to poorer episodes and a lot of the time it's it's actually the execution more than anything else like you know with remembrance for Picard it feels like it's trying to be a prestige show and it fails to be a Star Trek. With Broken Bow, it's it's trying to be, I don't know, that kind of... It, it just doesn't, again, doesn't really feel enough like it's, a Star Trek. It's trying it, it's, to be other things what, of the era, and it's preemptive. Broken Bow is trying to not be your dad, not trying to be yeah. your daddy or your granddaddy Star Trek. Like the, like the four with the evil clown, mm-hmm. I think the biggest point i have problem i have with the four is that it is like as a piece of tv it is shot and lit in ways which drain it of all the kind of horror it could have had yeah it just it just looks like a guy or in a in a town hall doing some tumbling tricks god i i when i was saying about arkham horror earlier and dealing with a boogeyman in in a matrix, it was a clown. It was literally the plot of yeah. the Thor, but um, in a creepy school. And again, that was cardboard, but it was a lot more effective uh, than that. So, I and like we've I'm loath think... to put Strange New Worlds right at the bottom because, again, craft wise, it is incredibly good, but it does craft wise, it's fine. Yeah. But the thing is, F, I think out of all the episodes we've watched, hmm. I don't think one has, like, there have been episodes where I've been mock angry. There have been episodes which I've been mock, like, there's been episodes which I've been a mock time. Hey. Uh, 
Yeah, I see um, what you did. But there. this one, I have never, I've yet to watch an episode of Star Trek, which, like, with the 60s ones, when it has, when it's gotten, like, very kind of 1960s gender issues, mm. you can go, it's the time. When you've had stuff which is in bad, you know, yeah, it was the it was the eighties. Everyone was on cocaine. Like it's weird. It was it was the eighties. It was a time. I've yet to have seen an episode of Star Trek which made me angry about what I had just watched, and it made and made me angry because it's just badly. The production values are fine. The story was pants. Yeah. And yeah, it it could have taken a lot less than like it it could have it didn't need a massive amount of effort to make it feel like oh this is why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, but we don't get enough of a this is it's just oh yeah you know this you know this story you've you, you've got to plug a child in kill a child yeah, yeah you have society to go how you have you, to, you have to... You have to plug a child into a machine. Who hasn't? I mean, we've I didn't all been there, right? I was a supervisor at Starbucks. I have plugged so many children into child death machines to make the Frappuccinos work. And, I mean, that's the thing, right? Because the Frappuccinos are kind of nice. So, we <laughs> it's sad, like, but like, we've yeah. got to do it. <laughs> Like I, I can just imagine someone going, oh, isn't this a clever metaphor for capitalism? No! No. Because it's because it's ludicrous. Because you can do a better metaphor for capitalism by just showing how terrible capitalism can be. You don't need to go. Here's a literal child death machine. Isn't capital? Isn't late stage capitalism horrible? Oh dear! Like I this think... isn't a, this isn't a horrible history sketch. Yeah. Okay. So. It fails in its execution the same way that Future te- Tense fails the, the, in its execution. The if, only, if someone... the only, the only execution it succeeds in is in executing a child. Hey, hey, um, hey! Again, the, um... you can joke about child death. <laughs> wow, of course. So, like the production qualities on Future Tense were shit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Is the egregiousness of the oh God? I hate saying plot holes because that just seems all cinema synthy. But the 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 problems with the plot, of uh, the problems and the fundamental lack that is in Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. I worse think the, than I just speaking as a writer, I just think the writers, to quote Jurassic Park. I think the writers were considering more that because they could, they never stopped to consider that they should. Hey. hey. Okay. Okay. It's yeah. Well, as I said, I on a technical thing, it's it's fine. It's as fine. good as any episode of, of Strange New Worlds. The subplot with Lan and Ahura, all fine. Uh, yeah. Um, um but yeah. Pike head Pike Pike headbutting a guy. Love it. Love it. it. Love that. Love a good headbutt in Star Trek. Hell, even the chase. The, it's like, oh, chase through all this, these fancy gardens, this rain slash slash Bridgerton kind of fancy society. 
the one la- the one bit of fun I got from the episode from the main part of the episode is when they're interrogating the guards and mm. the one guard that they know is the guy who betrayed them just kind of goes and just and runs off screen like it's a comedy sketch. It was lo- yeah, that was the best okay. bit. <laughs> okay, I'm rumbled. So, um, yeah, it does this mean? I know we're running a little long, but we are debating the new lowest of the low here. Oh, you, does you see, this fundamental breakage. I, I don't oh. have a. I I am not debating. I am insisting. You are insisting. Well, I I am like <laughs> as one half of the casual trek. I am very uncasual in how much I feel this episode should be on the bottom of the line. Well, you know, we, you are fifty percent of the ultimate objective authority on this. So, uh, yeah, God, I guess this means our number 60 is Strange New Worlds, Season 1, Episode 6, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, which is a fucking iron and wine song title of a name there, you know? Um, but yeah, okay. I'm sure it's a quote from Shakespeare. Well, it's, it's their saying, uh, let the tree that grows from the roots of sacrifice lift us where suffering cannot reach. Is is their thing, you know? Because um, yeah, they're all about that. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. It, Miles I, is I, doing I, the jack and off motion. <laughs> Which yeah, fair. Okay, so we've we've run long, so it's best for us to close out by saying uh, what's who we are and where to check us out. Um, so, so from so from one jack off motion to another, Twitter. <laughs> oh my Twitter. god! Wow, wow! <laughs> Again, like we've said before, if Twitter exists, where to find us? But this, this is, it genuinely feels that way right now. This, this show is the chronicle of Twitter's death. So like, yeah, this, I, this is evil, the Samuel, P- like evil alternate Gabriel Lorca's idol. Uh, Elon Musk. This is um, the Samuel Pepys diary of the collapse of Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I assume we we might be able to be one of your five views a day of of a tweet. In which case, you can find us at Casual Trek Pod on on the Bird site. Um, yeah, where else can people find you specifically, Mars? You can find me on the bird site as one of your 600, because I get the feeling that we have no listeners who are verified on Twitter. Um, Sean, looking at Sean, looking at you, Sean. If anyone's verified on Twitter, it's you, Sean. Anyway, Sean, poor Sean, Sean. He's such a Sean. Anyway, you can find me as one of your 600 a day on at man miles. You can actually find me doing, you know, on my WordPress blog at mareadlobato.wordpress.com. Um, I have a Blue Sky account. I got Ooh, it off the back. Of, I got it. I got it off the back of a lorry. Um, so that's a truck for our American listeners. Yeah. And so, but like you know, it's it's early days. So yeah, that's me on the bird site now, Charlie. Yeah. You're multi okay. Where can people find you and your ten tweets a day out of their six hundred on the bird yeah. site? So God, I really should I I am at Charlie underscore E N 
on the terrible bird site. In theory, God, I've I should have been posting about New X Men. I've been loving reading it at the moment, and then not actually bothering telling anyone about it on there. Uh, I you can, however, see it on Facebook on the X Men Addicts group, and I'm occasionally tentatively testing the waters as faked tales on um tumblr and i can't remember what i am on hive i believe i'm the only user left there um yeah and then i'm on fakedtales.com for my blog and that's where i'm about to drop way too many posts about rpgs i've read this year and kind of micro reviews of those you can also go to our ko-fi and give us some money where we will graciously take it and cover an episode or a theme of your choice in one of our future episodes of Casual Trek. So yeah, anyway, that's it for us. And next time, why, Miles, I believe it's your birthday. And after today, I'll cry if I want to. Hell yeah. And yeah, probably a lot. It's I gather it's a big one. And um, yep, it is. It is. I'm hitting officially the big four zero. Yeah, join me. Like, you will fall apart. Like, I, yeah, just uh, as long as I still have my hair, I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a sl- being hit by the Genesis um, episode mutation, just, you know, not in a fun way. I've found. Oh, um, I, so you mean I'm definitely going to, I'm going to come next, next time we record this, be like, yeah, may have killed someone, man. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, yeah, it's your birthday followed shortly after by mine. So, yeah, we're going to have some fun self-indulgence by talking about our namesakes. Uh, but especially one Mr. Miles O'Brien. So, yeah, that's it from us. You, you know you know who wouldn't have put up with a child death machine? Miles. Chief Engineer Miles O'Brien. Fuck yeah, he would have fixed it. Um, he would have beamed that kid out. He would have done all sorts. Anyway, uh, that's it for us. Um, yeah, go to a Starfleet. Do not plug any children into death machines. I cannot stress enough. Do not plug a child into a death machine. We can't have that from our audience, okay? Live, live long and have a jelly baby. But not if that jelly baby is powered by a child death machine. Damn straight. You have been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. The intro theme was by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Star Trek's owned by Paramount, and Casual Trek is part of the Nerd and Tie Network.